more. Father, we are here to hear your word to us through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15, and we pray that we would receive it as it is, the very word of our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last uh, week we were talking about Exodus chapter 19, and interestingly, as we take a little four-week pause from our sermon series in the book of Exodus, I think we left off at a really good point. Because if you remember last week in Exodus 19, when God was preparing to come down on the mountain and visit his people, he told Moses, the very, remember the very first thing he said, which was, I've borne you on eagle's wings to myself, you are my treasured possession, so that you might be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There's the missions emphasis that God was calling his people to have. Why did he rescue them? Why did he rescue Israel? He rescued them so that through his rescue, the nations might know who God is. He rescued them so that they might be a people who were committed to making him known to the nations. And brothers and sisters, that's the same reason God rescued us. May God be gracious to us, Psalm 67 says, and bless us. Why? Why do you want God to be gracious to you? Why do you want God to bless you? So that your name may be known on the earth. Your salvation among all nations. We are not cul-de-sacs of grace. You know what I mean by that? cul-de-sac where you just circle the block like this or the the house right there and that's where the grace ends we're thoroughfares we're not cul-de-sacs grace came to us because it was on the way to somebody else grace came to us so that it might be transferred to others of course our families our neighbors our co-workers our friends doesn't all have to be in asia or africa In fact, for most of God's people, God arranges our dwelling places according to Acts 17, stations us in life in the time period among the people that we live, so that right there, right among your existing network, God's grace might be made known through your life. He rescued you also, though, so that the nations would know that he's the Lord. This is the song that our brothers and sisters who are in heaven sing right now in Revelation 5. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. We already sang it earlier this morning. We're going to sing it at the end. Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God peoples from every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. you see that? You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. The same purpose that God had in Exodus 19, the saints right now in heaven are singing. Because that's God's universal purpose for all of us for all time. Why did Jesus die? Why was his blood slain? slain? Why was his blood spilt? He died to purchase us that we might proclaim him. That we might be a kingdom of priests making him known. You could say he died to make you a missionary. That's why he died. Now, we're not all called to be cross-cultural missionaries, but we are called to be missionaries. He died to, to send us on a mission to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our identity. That's who we are, wherever we are. World missions matters. 
It's not peripheral to the purpose of God. It's not for the super keen Christians who are, who are really taking their Christianity seriously. No, it's central to who we are as God's people. It's central to what the church is all about. And that's because reaching the nations is central to God's purposes in the world. It's central to the Bible story. It's central to what we're going to talk about this morning in Romans chapter 15. So here's our series. We're not all going to be in Romans 15 every single week. I think I miscommunicated the Devo a little bit. There will be different scripture readings read in different languages. They won't all be Romans 15 this, this morning. And Devo, you did excellent with your English. Brother, don't beat yourself up about that. You did excellent reading in English, and I appreciate your efforts in that regard. I can't say all, your whole life's marked by that, but this was marked by excellent English. But the series coming up is, 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 are these four sermons. This morning, we're going to talk about our passion for missions, which is sharing the gospel. We believe that the primary work of the church is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not the exclusive, it's not the only thing Christians do, but it is the priority. It's the main thing we do. I like the way John Piper says it. Christians exist in the world for the alleviation of, of all suffering, especially eternal suffering. You get that? We, we care about people's suffering. We care about sex trafficking. We care about getting water to people. We care about alleviating physical hurt and pain and needs but we especially care about relieving people from hell. Because you can meet all kinds of earthly needs and people go right to hell. So the way that we love the nations the best and love the nations the most is by telling them the gospel of Christ by which they can be saved. It doesn't alleviate those other concerns, but it does put them in their proper context. So that's a little bit what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, next week, Lord willing, Pastor Thad's going to come and share about our practice of missions, which is sending and supporting laborers from Third John. Then the following week, Pastor Keith Withrow is going to come and talk about our priority with missions, which is starting and strengthening churches. We believe that the best way to spread the gospel is the way Jesus told us, which is to make disciples and baptize them. In other words, plant churches and strengthen churches and help churches get started and help churches get strengthened. And then Pastor Keith Maddie will come and wrap up with our partnerships and missions, serving indigenous workers. So that's where we're going over the course of the next month. So you might be wondering sort of what the origin of the series was. And just very briefly, it started in the hearts of our faithful mission team, who has served this church faithfully uh, by, on your behalf by being kind of the frontline people who talk to our missionaries. Of course, your pastors and your deacons do at various levels too, but and many of you do on your own. But our missions team is designed to specifically care for them and make sure that they're being kept informed, what the needs are, how they can pray, and how they can support our missionaries. And so several members of the mission team brought this to the attention of the elders, and we wanted to lean into this as a series for our church in this season. George Pentecost, who wrote several works on missions, famously wrote, to the pastor, and we could also say to the church, but to the pastor belongs the privilege and the responsibility of solving the foreign missionary problem. To the pastor belongs the privilege and the responsibility of solving the foreign missionary problem. When I hear that quote, I get sobered by that. Because it's almost like Jesus came and set the missionary problem in the world at the feet of the leaders of the church and said, what are you guys going to do about it? It's a privilege, but it's also a responsibility. Think about the privilege that we have. In the words of J. Campbell White, who was the secretary of the layman's missionary movement, he said this in 1909. He said, 
Most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except the adoption of Christ's purpose toward the world he came to redeem. Fame, pleasure, and riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his eternal plans. The men, we could say the women as well, the men and women who are putting everything in Christ's undertaking are getting out of life its sweetest and most priceless rewards. That's the privilege of the missionary problem, is we are being invited into the joy of our master. We're being invited to serve Jesus in the most specific way that he calls us to serve. And but we also have the responsibility. Andy Johnson, missions pastor, says, it's the responsibility of pastors to feel the weight of the nations and to fan the flame for the global glory of God in every local church. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying in this month to fan to flame what we already believe is a strong flame. We don't believe we're just a, a fainting wick that's dying out, has no passion for God or no, no desire, but we want to fan that. We want to keep the, keep the breath of the Spirit on it through the Word of God, encouraging us all the more to excel in this way. Our missions team comes alongside of us, and they are desirous that we as a church understand our role as a church in global missions and to engage in that role faithfully, and we want to do that. So a couple of clarifications, and then we're going to get quickly to Romans 15. Some things we're not saying in this series, just two things quickly. First of all, by emphasizing global missions, we're not saying that local mission or that local ministry is not important. Obviously, local ministry and local mission is absolutely vital and it's repeatedly championed. It's very important. We should not neglect ministry to the people in our own church. We should not neglect ministry to the people who are hurting, marriages that are struggling, work environments that are challenging. And we're not in any way trying to draw our attention away from our own ministry as a local church. We should not neglect local mission in our own community. God has put us in Owensboro, Kentucky. God assigns our place in this life, and he's called us at this point in time to be the people who live here, among the people who live here. We're called to make disciples right here. But another thing I'm not saying is that global mission is not totally necessary and is not often neglected. It is. It is often neglected. The northern part of Yemen, the country of Yemen, has 8 million people in it. That's twice the population of the entire state of Kentucky. And do you know how many believers there are out of those 8 million people? 20 or 30. In other words, there are more believers in Pastor Keith's Sunday school class this morning than in the entire nation of Yemen with 8 million people. And over 2 billion people in the world today, that's roughly a, it's a little under a third of the world's population now, but over 2, million peop, 2 billion people in the world today are classified as unreached. Now, I know you know that term, but I want you to think about it more. It's not, unreached doesn't just mean that they haven't believed the gospel. Unreached means they don't have a chance to believe it because they will never hear it. That's what we mean by unreached. Unreached does not mean unengaged, but lost. We're not unreached, okay? There are lots of people who are lost, and in that sense, they're just as lost in America as they are in Saudi Arabia. But the difference is we have access and they don't. 
That's the reality. And that's why unreached means more than unsaved. It's just that the gospel is not just unbelieved, it's inaccessible. And that's our, that's our passion. That's what we want to characterize all of our mission, endeavor, and activity is our passion to get the gospel to people, to play our small part as one local church. We can't do it all. Praise God. He doesn't call us to do it all. He calls us to play our role as well as we possibly can with all the tools that he's made available to us, with all our gifts and abilities and resources to play our small part in getting the gospel to people around the world. And God has made us to do that for over four decades. And I believe he's continuing to enable us to do that even down to this day. And I'm thankful to be a part of it. So that's what we want to talk about this morning in Romans 15 is this passion for missions. So we're going to talk about five quick observations from Romans 15, and I'm going to tick these off really quickly because I'm just, designed, I'm just designed to get this in front of us as a big picture vision about what our passion for missions is to be as a church. So here's number one. The worship of Christ is the goal of missions. The worship of Christ is the goal of missions. Any other goal is a substandard goal. It's not, about, it's not about numbers. It's not, first and foremost, about conversions. It's not even about checking people groups off the list. It's about God being glorified for his redeeming work among every tribe, people, tongue, and nation. It's about Jesus Christ receiving the praise that his death, burial, and resurrection is worth. That's what missions is about. It's not first and foremost about people. It's about people praising Christ. And that only happens as the gospel goes to them. Look at what Paul says in Romans 15 verse 8. He says, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. That is, Christ became a Jewish man to show God's truthfulness in order. Why did Christ come to the Jews? In order to confirm the promises that were given to the patriarchs, that's all the Old Testament promises concerning Christ, especially to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then verse 9, in order that the Gentiles, non-Jews, might glorify God for his mercy. See, uh, we already talked about this. J the Jews were blessed to be a blessing. And so that's what Paul says here, is that Christ came to the Jews, but it wasn't just to terminate on the Jews as their Messiah. It was rather that the Gentiles would be included in the people of God as well. And that's what Paul quotes repeatedly in verses 9 and 10 and 11 and 12. He's taking Old Testament quotations and showing, see, God's plan was always to include non-Jews in salvation. It was always his plan to include the Gentiles. Look at verse 12, this beautiful prophecy of Isaiah. The root of Jesse, that's Jesus, will come even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. This root of Jesse, Jesse's an Israelite. And he's going to be, but no, it's not going to be a ruler just for the Jews. It's going to be a ruler for the Gentiles. And in him will the Gentiles hope. That's us, brothers and sisters. We're Gentiles. If you find yourself sitting here this morning, which most of you do, believe, you, you all find yourself sitting here this morning. That's very important. But you sit here as a believer this morning. This is because these verses have been fulfilled in your life. Think about that. This verse, rejoice, O Gentiles, verse 10, with his people, that's you. 
That's you. You're one of those people. You're a Gentile, a non-Jew who is rejoicing with the people of God. The worship that Christ deserves right now is being given over to false gods and idols by huge amounts of population, billions and billions of people in this world. And he is worthy of the worship of all peoples. This is what caused the Moravian missionaries to raise their hands and state as they were going off to destitute, diseased, dangerous areas of the world. When they were leaving, they would lift up their hands and say, to, we exist to, to, to give the Lamb of God the reward of his suffering. That's what they proclaimed. They said, we are going because Jesus deserves worship. He suffered so much. He died. These people are praising false gods. May the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. And they went to make sure that Christ was worshipped. So that's number one. Worship of Christ is the goal of missions. Number two, salvation in Christ is the reason for missions. Salvation in Christ is the reason. Now, worship is the goal. Right? John Piper said it famously. Missions exist because worship doesn't. We go to make worshipers, and missions is the means of it. But that doesn't mean that salvation is unimportant. Look at what Paul says in verses 16 and 17. God, he's recounting his own calling here. And he says, To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. I love that. That's not false humility, because he's getting ready to talk about where that work from God came from. But he says, you know what? You know what makes me proud? You know what I consider an honor? That I have been called by God to take the message of Christ to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, and that I can present them as a, an offering that's acceptable to God through the work of Jesus Christ. Salvation in Christ is the reason for missions. That was the reason Paul was set aside. He was set aside to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. And he says that it's in the priestly service of the gospel of God. That is, I'm witnessing about what Christ has done in his death, burial, and resurrection, and his perfect life, so that people, through trust in that and repentance of sin, would be made acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So salvation in Christ is the reason for missions. Number three, power from Christ is the hope of missions. Worship of Christ is the goal. Salvation in Christ is the reason. But power from Christ is the hope. Now look at what Paul says here in verse 13. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Why does he pray that? Because the Holy Spirit's got to do that. That's why he says, May the God of hope fill you so that by the power of the Holy Spirit... You... Paul knows that what's indispensable to the mission of the church is the power of the Holy Spirit. That unless the Holy Spirit comes and empowers and fills us and blesses us, our labors will be in vain because the power of God must accomplish the mission of God. It, it, it can't be done any other way. Look again at what he says in verse 14. I myself, Paul says, am satisfied about you, that is, you Roman Christians that I'm writing to, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, 
filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. So again, here's Paul saying, yes, I, I, work, for, I, I, I work for God. I'm proud of my work for God. But where does my work for God come from? It comes from the grace given to me by God through the power of the Holy Spirit given to me by God. And then notice again in verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. What's he saying? He's saying, everything that I've done that's resulted in salvation of individuals and the worship of Christ was accomplished by God through me. The power of Christ is the hope of missions. And notice, he doesn't just say that this, this power that accomplished by grace, that Christ accomplished through him by the power of the Spirit of God, is just for apostles. Like it's for special leaders. No, he said in verse 14, I'm convinced that you regular Christians at Rome are full of all goodness and able to instruct one another good too. You're full of the Holy Spirit. You're able to do the mission of God. So he doesn't let the Christians off the hook here and say, well, you know, God really reserves the power of his spirit for like special missionaries that are like going to the Gentiles. But you, you, you all at Rome, you don't have that same access. No, the power of the spirit is available for everyone of God's people for all the work that he's called them to do. Isn't that a joy? That's, a, that's, such, a, that's such a blessing that there are no, there's no, there's no bench warmers on God's team. God doesn't just recruit us and then say, okay, yeah, when I chose you, you know, I thought, I had, I thought you had more potential, but you know, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to sit this one out. No, because he knows that it's not about you. All the gifts you have, he gave you. But we don't trust in our gifts anyway. It's the power of the Spirit working through us. So it's all about His power being performed in and through our lives so that we can say, listen, I'm not going to venture to speak of anything except what God has accomplished through me because there isn't anything that I can talk about that isn't the result of what God has done through me. Missions is not mainly a human enterprise, brothers and sisters. It's a divine one. It's a divine one. It's God's work based on God's Word. Yes, we speak. Yes, we do. But in and through us, God speaks and God does, or all is in vain. We rely on Him. Our job is to obey and be faithful and trust in Him and to pray like crazy He works. Because we're in the exact same position as Paul was when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Apollos, nobody. Paul, nobody. Mark, nobody. You, nobody. The point is Christ. Christ the one is the one who accomplishes all that is truly of God. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15:10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, he said that he fulfills his ministry by the power of Christ, which so powerfully works within him. So it couldn't be clearer. The power of Christ is the hope of missions. Without the Spirit of God, we might as well pack it in. You know, I, I'm reminded of 
the, the disciples at the end of Matthew, they were raring to go, weren't they? They were. After they'd seen the resurrected Christ, I mean, imagine that. Discouraged for three days, feeling like you were told, sold a lie for the last three years as you walk with Christ, like he's dead. I mean, we were deceived. And then he comes back, he meets him in Galilee, just like he told him. He said, I told you so. But you wait. You wait. He's like, why wait now? You've come back from the dead. He said, no, wait. For you need the Holy Spirit to be poured out on you. And then in Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit comes after the prayer meeting and Pentecost begins and the Spirit is poured out. That's the critical element of missions. That's why Acts 1 could be, begins with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Because the only way this thing's going to be successful is if the Holy Spirit's at work. It's not going to be because we got gifted leaders. It's not going to be because we got gifted members. It's not because people can do really cool stuff. It's going to be because the power of Christ is with these people. That's the only way repentance and faith is going to happen. That's the only way churches are going to be planted. That's the only way people are going to stand up to persecution. That's the only way people are going to have courage. That's the only way people are going to keep going when they're discouraged and want to quit is the power of the Holy Spirit. Only way. Only way. And so the power of Christ is the hope of missions. Praise his name. Number four, two more. Peoples for Christ is the aim of missions. Peoples, now I pluralize that on purpose. It's not just people for Christ, but it's nation, more people, peoples, groups, groups of peoples that are not like other peoples with different languages and different cultures and different tongues. Peoples for Christ is the aim. Notice Paul is not just interested in saving more people, but he's interested in getting the gospel to more peoples. This is what he says in verse 19. Look there again. He says, So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, verse 20, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. Not where Christ has already been named. Lest I build on another person's foundation. Then he quotes verse of the Old Testament, verse 21, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Verse 22, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. He says, I'm too busy trying to reach other peoples. You got the gospel. There's lots of other people that don't, so I'm sorry if my visits are not as they should be. Verse 23, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... And since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Now, what, what's he talking about here? Like, he, he says that he's fulfilled his ministry and there's no more work to be done. And you, you could sit down with Paul and say, really, Paul? Really, Paul, every person here has heard the gospel? Every, there's been churches planted in every single neighborhood in Jerusalem. There have been, you know, an Illyricum and all these other surrounding areas. All, all, they've all heard it, right? So you can move on. I mean, in that... But he says, my work's done. What does he mean? He means the gospel has come here. It's been planted here. There have been believers in, who believed it. There have been churches established. I'm writing to them in the book of Romans. And now, in that sense, I'm done. I'm going to Spain, where there is none of this. So you notice he's not just interested in just laying the foundation again and working here and staying here. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes he plants churches and he, we read in the book of Acts, he stays several years. But other times he plants it, he raises up leaders and he moves on. 
And the reason is, is because he's called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to keep, keep going, keep reaching. Now we know from church history, it's likely he never got to Spain. He dies right here in Rome. But his ambition and his desire was to get there. Was to get there. And what a, what a great... I mean, can you imagine when the Apostle Paul went to Christ and saw Christ? He died with his boots on, didn't he? He was ready to go to Spain. He's like, if you'd have left me a little while longer, we've been, getting, we've been reaching the Spanish. But Christ didn't have that purpose for Paul. But notice three things in these verses. Paul says that he's preached the gospel fully and he aims not to build on anyone else's work, but to be a pioneer and go where Christ is not named. Therefore, he has no room here. So he would say that the task of frontier missions was done, but not the task, uh, was not done. What, what, what remained was the task of evangelism, that these people here in Rome were to evangelize as Paul had done, but he's going on. And what this means for us is that there must always be missionaries like Paul who if we're going to finish the Great Commission, which is not just to reach more and more people, but it's to reach more and more people groups until they all have churches and can evangelize their own people. This must always be a high priority for our mission's vision. Other kinds of missionary work are good and they must be supported, but this kind is utterly essential because the cause of world evangelization will not be completed unless the gospel goes to all nations. Now, I want to, I want to say a balancing word on this because I think it's important. Um, the organization that uh, Dwayne and Kimberly work for that you saw is called Training Leaders International. And the president of that organization is a man by the name of Darren Carlson, and he's going to, Lord willing, be there at the graduation on Saturday. I've never met him, but I'll, I'll look forward to meeting him. He recently wrote an article that stressed this very thing, that there must, in our efforts in missions, be both a unreached and reached balance. In other words, we must not so overreact to the, the issue of unreached that we neglect development among the reached. But neither must we focus so on the reached that we, that we fail to go to the unreached. And here's what he says about maintaining that critical balance. He says, Is it necessary to take the gospel to the nations? Yes. Is it important to try to break into areas where the gospel has never been proclaimed? Yes. Must Christians own the responsibility to go and to send? Yes. Is it ever appropriate to think of the ethne, that is the nations, the peoples, in terms of geographic and ethno-linguistic categories? Absolutely. In fact, the apostles themselves could consider nations, Spain, or people groups, Scythians, in their efforts to take the gospel to the world. So should we. With all the emphasis on people groups over the last 50 years, however, we've made a course correction at the expense of our mission. Specifically, the focus hasn't been on making disciples of all nations, that is evangelizing, baptizing, teaching, establishing churches, and training leaders, but instead on finishing the task, that is getting the gospel to every last people group. Matthew 28 has been usurped by Matthew 24. And the results? Material and personnel resources have been redirected out of areas no longer deemed strategic. Reach nations have been abandoned along with their seminaries. The hard and messy work of raising up competent leaders has fallen to the wayside. Missions research now centers around identifying and categorizing groups of people. Missions reporting now emphasizes evangelism and our methods focus on speed. All of this is no doubt pursued with good intentions, desiring to reach the unreached. But sadly, our disregard for certain mission fields has left open the possibility that a people group 
once being designated as reached, could revert to unreached status. In our effort to finish the task, we have to ask ourselves if we've been faithful to fulfill the original mandate, or did we leave too soon? So I think Darren's word is a good word. It's a balancing word. It's saying, listen, yes, let's get the gospel to every nation that hasn't heard, but let's at the same time make sure that we're not going to have to come back and reach the nations that were once defined as reached, like Serbia. No evangelical presence, unreached, but they were once, they had a Christian presence, but they don't anymore because people were not equipped in the Great Commission. Disciples may have been made, but they weren't trained. They weren't taught to do all that Jesus had told them to do, and they didn't replicate that. And so a generation, a couple generations goes by, and there's no gospel anymore. And so we got to do both. We gotta, we, and, and the Lord will, in his time and in his way, make that clear how we're to engage in that balance. Fifthly and finally, and then we're going to sing. Co-laboring with Christ is the work of missions. Co-laboring with Christ is the work of missions. Notice what Paul says here in verse second half of verse 24. He says, I'm going to Spain, and you're coming with me. Does he say that? No, look what he says. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service from Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, everyone in Rome, if you're really obedient to the Great Commission you're going to go with me to Spain or you're going to go to some other unreached people group. Otherwise, you're unfaithful to the gospel. Does he tell them that? No, he doesn't. What does he say? My hope is that you're going to refresh me in my visit and send me on my way. That's what he says. And that's amazing. In other words, he calls the church in Rome to be supportive senders, not goers. He's not recruiting for his team. He's asking for hospitality. He wants them to be partners in his mission, to be supporters of his mission. And that's what co-laboring with Christ looks like. It's so ordinary. It's about opening a home, sharing a meal, praying, financially helping, hearing an encouraging report, sending an encouraging message. That is co-laboring for Christ in the work of missions. It's huge. Do you think visiting and encouraging people is a small thing? It's critical. Do you think financially helping missionaries is a small thing? It's critical. Do you think praying for missionaries is a small thing? It's critical. And it's all co-laboring. I want you to see that. We are co-laborers with the Baldwins. They know it. 
We know it, we need to be reminded of it, and we need to realize that we are just as much involved in the work of missions as those who are on the field themselves. We're linking arms. They might go down into the well, we hold the rope. That's the picture. We do both. We join, we link arms, we co-labor with Christ in the gospel. Well, may God encourage us this morning from this brief look at Romans 15. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful to you for your word, which paints this beautiful New Testament vision of what the church is to be and do in the cause of missions. We thank you that the worship of Christ is ultimate, that Jesus receiving the worship of every tribe and tongue and people of nation and nation is the goal, that you have made salvation in Christ available. God forbid that there would be anyone here this morning who is yet to trust in Jesus Christ. May those who have heard believe. May those of us who hear week in and week out believe. Lord, may, may those of us who sit here and think, I was born in access to the gospel and I was not born in Tibet where there's no access to the gospel. That is a mercy of God to so many, it's, to all of us, but especially to our children and to those among us who have yet to believe the gospel. Bring that to our consciences. Bring that to our hearts in such a way that we say, oh, the guilt I will have if I don't believe the gospel. Because I've heard it. I've heard it again and again and again and again and again and again. May you bring kids this morning to Christ. May you bring adults this morning to Christ. Teenagers, older folks to Christ. And may you encourage us this morning that the power of Christ is available to us, that we are co-laborers in the gospel, and that you have called us to take part in the greatest work in the entire world. Let the nations praise you. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Let's stand together and sing. Thank mm-hmm. you.